You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. It's episode 49 of Grow Yourself Up. And this week, I'm joined by Kendra Wilde. Kendra is a parent well-being advocate who uses illustration, podcasting, writing and workshops to share resilience resources with parents. As a mom of three who met Bernard close up, she realized the best way to help children is to care for the caregivers. Kendra created Wild Peace for Parents to help parents feel less alone and more empowered as they navigate the challenges and growth pains of parenting, especially when raising kids who struggle somehow. She draws on lessons from neuroscience, psychology, mindfulness and lived experience to bolster parent well-being because that ripples to our kids. She recently launched A Little Easier, which is a 12-episode podcast series that brings together leading experts and real parents who share insights, personal stories, and practical tools to give parents a lift through challenging times. The series takes listeners on a 12-part journey, exploring everything from the complex emotions parents experience when their kids struggle to the nervous system's impact on parenting and what can help us fend off burnout, find a sense of balance and embrace what is with more compassion and joy. Kendra has an MBA from Harvard Business School and considers these projects, um, like A Little Easier and Wild Peace for Parents, the most soul-filling way to give parents the resources she wishes she had. You can find Kendra on Instagram and Facebook at wildpeaceforparents and at wildpeace.org. And A Little Easier is available on most podcast platforms. And all of these details will be in the show notes. So Kendra and I took a a kind of a winding tour um, through talking about um, parenting our kids and especially if they've got any struggles. And um, we were vague in some areas intentionally to protect the privacy of our children. So, yeah, I hope that you get a lot from this episode. Um, Kendra, his children are older than mine, and so it was lovely um, to hear some of her reflections about how things change and shift and kind of um, some tips to comfort ourselves um, in the earlier years, particularly if you're struggling in any way. Okay, let's get started. So Kendra, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And um, why don't you tell us a bit about your journey to motherhood, about your children, their ages? You know, how did you come into, how did you come into being in the parenting space? Well, 
Um, I have three boys who are now in their late teens and early 20s. Um, and I had them all in a row. And I was totally ignorant going in. <laughs> I just thought I wanted my kids to all be close in age so that they could could be a friends. And so that I would be going through the parenting steps kind of all at the same time. And I had no idea <laughs> how hard that would actually be. But my sister and I were spaced six years apart. And I thought, well, I want more than two and closer together. So that's what I did. Wow. So you had three young boys and you were trying to parent three young boys. Oh, that must have been a lot. Yeah, it was a lot only because my only frame of ref reference was girls. I was raised all around girls. All my cousins in every direction pretty much were girls. And I didn't, I didn't really know about boys. And in terms of like, as you look back on your kind of motherhood journey, because if they are really 20, mm -hmm. I know for many of us, motherhood is a massive reorganization and there's things that we let go of, there's things that we learn. And we change our expectations of ourselves and our children. What's just kind of been some of your highlights around and um, what have you had to let go of? What have you learned? I mean, I know that's a huge question. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many directions I could take that. Um, I think the biggest thing is to realize that we don't have control over anyone but ourselves. And I always was a high achiever. I was focused on, you know, I took really great pride in being a hard worker and being constantly productive and, and to some extent being a perfectionist about all of that. I always wanted to be good at everything I did and always doing too much. And I think when I had kids, I thought, well, that's just one more thing I'll try to do well. But parenting kind of threw that fantasy into disarray because you can't control the who you get. You get these children and suddenly everything you thought you knew changes. And I personally had a really healthy, pretty happy childhood. But a lot of the things that worked for me and the way I was parented didn't apply to my kids. And it was so confusing because my kids were complicated in different ways. We ran into lots of challenges with learning and behavior and sensory systems and attention and, and mood. And I did not know what to do. Um, and that really threw me for a loop because I had to learn how to accept and parent the kids I got instead of the ones that I imagined I would have. Oh, I love, I love hearing you say that. That's also a journey that I've had of, um, of kind of uh, noticing what's in front of me and not trying to deny that um, or kind of fight against that. Tell us about, I mean, that, that sounds, that's a very sort of spiritual journey that you're describing and such a, like a journey of self-acceptance. Um, how did you, and I think I love what you said about um, parenting is just going to be another thing I do well because I think, Many of the listeners, many of my clients come to parenting with that attitude of, I've been such a high achiever in everything I've done. And like, I've got this, I've got the sort of, I'm going to problem solve the hell out of mothering, basically. <laughs> yeah. 
How how did because it sounds like you really journeyed away from that place into kind of it sounds much more well I mean much more peace actually yeah tell us about that journey <laughs> it's been a long journey and I had to burn out and have a massive wake up call to make a change um, so I think you know when my kids were at their peak of struggling and i was kind of on the great therapy chase and i was trying to navigate the healthcare system and deal with the special education system and find the right fit in the schools and i think i had stacks of books on parenting um i think i was determined to just find this answer to find this fix how old were your boys oh they were in grade school age um let's say maybe six, eight, ten, four, six, eight, something like that. Um, but I remember I started trying to sneak in appointments for myself to figure out what was wrong because I literally had the hardest time getting out of bed and I was just driving myself from my to-do list in my head. But physically, I was absolutely exhausted. And I remember my primary care physician said to me, well, would you like to go on an antidepressant? Maybe that would help. And I was, I was angry. I felt so dismissed because I wasn't depressed. I told him that's not what it is. And he's like, well, you're clinically passing all these tests. And I'm like, okay. So finally I found, um, an integrative doctor who was, who was more holistic and she did all these tests on me. And she's the one who said, you have no more cortisol. Like you're, if you don't do something to turn things around, basically change your relationship to stress, you're going to get, you're going to do permanent damage to your, to yourself. Um, so that was my wake up call. And then I thought, well, how are you supposed to revive and restore when you're in the midst of the storm? How do you do that? And so I started learning just in little bits and pieces from different places like, mindfulness-based stress reduction and a lot of other learning from a lot of different places. And what I, I think the two biggest breakthroughs, one was I went to a body worker who did shiatsu and I'm lying down on the mat and she's sort of feeling my energy and squeezing my feet. And she said, Kendra, do you ever feel the ground you walk on? I feel like you maybe just really are just in your head all the time. And I thought about it and I was like, actually, no, I, I don't, I don't feel my feet during the day. And I think a lot of us, especially as moms, completely ignore ourselves and our needs. We get so detached from how we feel that we just, that's why burnout sneaks up on you because you haven't been noticing your needs. So that was the beginning of my body odyssey, learning how to, how to do a body scan, how to breathe, how to find space in, in the middle of, you know, the chaos. And, um, so I just started practicing lots of little things that I incorporated into my day. That's such a powerful story about the body work and what you said about, do you ever feel your feet? Because that kind of disconnection, I think, um, it's so woven into our society. We're kind of so left brain dominant and we just run with our left brains totally like, which facilitates massive disconnection from our body. 
and and what you said about not touching the ground it's almost like 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 a sense of dissociation from anything that kind of would slow us down we just kind of push forward and it's like buying into that myth that it's buying into that mythical motherhood role that you should somehow be this superhero and sacrifice yourself which is really all backwards yes so backwards how did you kind of make sense of that and kind of um begin to shift things for you because i mean your burnout like if you couldn't get out of bed how are you managing ah some of it is a blur but i remember thinking that if i just incorporated micro actions into my life that that would help and the doctor who um who i had gone to said she said well what do you do for self-care and i was like well, I don't know. Sometimes I sneak in a pedicure or maybe I like eat the vitamins off my kid's plate if he didn't take it. And she's like, no, 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 that is not what I mean. <laughs> and she said, this is what I do. And she had a post-it note and it just had three things on it. And it said something like, you know, take my vitamins. I don't know what she did. You know, take a walk after dinner, get to bed by 10 p.m. And I thought, you know, I could do that. So I started making post-it notes with three things that I would do that I thought would fill me. And so it might be like, I'm going to drink a glass of warm lemon water in the morning while I'm making everyone else's breakfast and before I have coffee. And maybe it would be like, when we go to that appointment, I'll take the stairs instead of the elevator. And maybe at the end of the night, instead of reviewing my to-do list, I would have a ta-da list. What are the good things that I did today? Um, and so I started making these little post-it notes and trying those three things for a week or two. And I started to notice a difference. And so sometimes we think the change we need to make is big change. And I actually think the changes on the margins, the little tiny ones, um, are so much easier to do. And then they build on themselves. They're so much easier to do, and as long as we um, kind of persist, they're so powerful. And I think that um, it's interesting you say that because um, so many of us, and I include myself in this, want the big, grand, like, change, like, ta-da, everything's changed now. I'm a new person. I'm calmer. My children are better, you know, anything like that. And we fall for that seductive idea. Maybe it's from diet culture because there's always that, you know, if you do this, you'll suddenly be thin or something. And actually, we know from all the change research, you know, like what's that book, Atomic Habits, all of those things, if we do those micro changes and we stick to them, um, even if it might feel boring or like it's not doing anything in the first, I don't know, one week or something, it's so, that's how we do things that are sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's so, those incremental little things make such a huge difference. They really do. And sometimes that's the only thing that's practical, you know, for, for parents who have so much going on. I, I love the idea that we, we should try to slow down and make more space in our lives. And I think one thing I didn't realize is that I really was in survival overdrive all the time. Small things and large things all felt like an emergency. And learning to understand more about what was happening in my nervous system and what was 
what was actually setting me off was was really helpful. Um, and I took a class online called Mindfulness-Based Emotional Balance. And that was another massive lesson because I always thought that emotions meant you were weak. Honestly, if you could be a thinker, you were strong. If you were a feeler, you were weak. That's That was kind of how I was conditioned. And when I took that class and realized that the massive amount of, of intelligence we get from our emotions, that was like a huge game changer to me to understand what I was feeling and be able to name it and find ways to regulate that. That was a really big key. And the other big key was when I learned about self-compassion. Oh my gosh, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, it started by just hearing it. I think it was a TED talk by Kristen Neff. <clears throat> and she was describing, she, she was one of the, you know, pioneer researchers into self-compassion. And I had always thought, well, if you're hard on yourself, of course, then that would help you buck up and rise to the occasion. Of course. I'm sure that's that's how I was granted. That was the culture. It is the culture in many ways. And what her research found was that when you're kind to yourself, it actually helps you decompress and de-stress. And that allows you to have access to your higher brain. And then you can co-regulate with your children. You can offer more patience and compassion for everyone else when you start with yourself. So she had broken down, she does break down self-compassion into three components. I don't want to go into the whole lecture, but the three components are like mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. And so I made up a little motto based on those three things. This is hard. I'm doing my best. I'm a good mom. And it felt really weird to do, but whenever I was absolutely in, like if one of my kids was having a massive meltdown, I would just stop and think about that Kristen Neff lecture. And I would say to myself, this is hard. I could use a lot of expletives too, but this is hard. And I'm, I'm doing my best with, with what I know right now. I'm doing everything I can. And I'm a good mom. And even if I didn't believe I was a good mom, it opened the door to changing the way I thought about everything. And it, and it, and it, it shifted my capacity in so many ways. And I started to notice that I was being driven by an inner critic. Um, and the more I tried to notice like what that inner critic was saying, I was really shocked because Kristen Neff again says, treat yourself the way you would treat a good friend. And when I was noticing what I say to myself, I would never say those things to my friend. You know, wow, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And you should be able to keep the house perfectly spotless. And you should be able to cook fresh meals for the kids. And you should be able to find just the right school and program for each one of your kids and you should be able to have a career and you should look good and be fit. And Oh my God, those jeans are tight. <laughs> um, if you allow that voice to take over, you'll be miserable and you won't be able to be present for your kids. Yeah. It's funny because in the drive to think we're making ourselves a better mom with look, the relentless beating ourselves up, we completely take ourselves away from 
being good enough and being actually with them and present. I think that's such an important thing you've just highlighted there. And how did you, um, I think that I love what you shared about having access to our feelings because I think so many people, that's part of the way they grew up, that um, emotions are weak. And really, they're like electrical impulses in our bodies, you know, information from our nervous system guiding us how to act. And it's so um, so useful when we reframe away from that it's not weakness. It's, it's in fact, you get so much like flexible power when you're in connection with your emotions and, and you allow your feelings. Um, and I think so much of, of um, I love your motto as well, because in that you've allowed that it's hard because so many of us struggle with why do I find this so hard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just allowing and acknowledging the hardness, it's not because we're defective that it's hard. It's because it's hard. Yeah. And there are so many reasons that parents find it hard. And it's not, I don't, I don't know why, but we tend to take it on ourselves and assume that we're failing, failing. <clears throat> when you really look at all the factors that make it so hard, most of them aren't because of you. I mean, yes, we could learn to manage stress a little better. Yes, we could learn how to understand our triggers better. Yes, we might have some parenting skills to learn. But in so many cases, it's it's outside of us. It's these crazy expectations that we put on ourselves that come from society. Um, it's the fact that we're we don't really have a village unless you consciously go make one for yourself. Um, you know, but we don't have the support built in to the system that parents had, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, and we don't have, I think, because that that expectation from society, um, we were talking a little bit before about the school system and like mm-hmm. the institutions that surround us. If we had people who said, oh, yes, um, I've seen children who are like this before. Here's a lovely school for them. Or this is the way we help them with whatever their particular issues are. Or um, my children got some sensory things. Or if they said, oh, yes, um, we've got like, some helpful ways to help them regulate their sensory system or integrate some of this, you know, in the class, we can take care of that. Whereas so many of us rub up against all of these systems because of that kind of cookie cutter model of if your child is not exactly like this, then then the child is pathologized actually, first of all. And yeah. often you have to like create all your kind of solutions yourself. Yeah. And I think one sad thing about this pathologizing culture that we have is that when we label a child that was supposed to be just a shorthand i guess for for professionals or anyone to under to begin to understand what they're looking for but what happens is it makes kids feel like they're broken and that they're not good enough and that and it makes parents go down this fix it path of what are all the things i need to do to somehow right the situation. And um, so that, that I think, is a problem in itself. And, and I agree with you that, you know, the schools and the healthcare system are, have all gotten so complicated um, that it makes life really hard for us parents when we're just trying to get some, some support. We touched on earlier about um, that journey of um, 
loving and parenting, accepting the children that we have in front of us and how that's a kind of a process. You mentioned that you had to sort of burn out to come to a place of acceptance. How did you, um, because I think that all your, you talked about having a different relationship to stress and um, having these um, micro self-care practices, but how did you kind of tend yourself emotionally um, in the kind of the pain that you might have felt with this? How did you traverse that terrain? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I read a book. I read a book called Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. And it was written, I don't know how long ago, by a doctor named Rita Eichenstein. And I remember reading it, and she said that parents go through a real grief process when their child or their parenting situation, their family life, isn't what they imagined it would be. And I had always thought grief had to be something really dramatic, like a death. And I didn't realize that all those feelings that you can have, denial or anger or sadness, can actually happen about your parenting situation. And I think a lot of parents have that. You know, if you're if you're the dad who's the like kick-ass baseball player and your kid's not an athlete, you have a kind of grief, you know, maybe because your child isn't going to be the next mini you. <laughs> and, you know, that's an example that really is a kind of grief. And, you know, the same thing goes for, well, my family was is very highly sensitive. And when they were younger, it wasn't easy to just go into a big, fun, loud restaurant. I wanted to be like those other families that could just waltz into a restaurant and not have to think about it. Um, those things are little, little pricks of grief. And, you know, you becoming aware of that and allowing that was, was actually really helpful to say, Oh, so this feeling I'm having is, is actually normal. And there are words for it helped. Yeah. Um, I think that's so beautiful the way you describe that because um, I actually did an episode on grief a couple of weeks ago and I think, oh, there's so much grief. I think that it's layered into all the experiences in parenthood because mm -hmm. um, the grief of, like even what you just said about the restaurant, those kind of experiences um, where you expect that your, your family will behave in a way that maybe your family of origin behaved or the way you see other people behaving as well. Um, I also have something about that around restaurants and about um, eating. And um, yeah. it can be sometimes very traumatic for us to go to restaurants because my children often used to vomit a lot. And so um, or they wouldn't eat anything on the menu. And the sensory stuff is very overwhelming often. So then there'd be a lot of meltdowns. And so um, – I've had a lot of grief actually about things not being simple, you know, that there has to be so many like workarounds. Um, and I think it's so, um, it's so important to really get to know the intricacies of our own story because we all have different grief. You know, we all have different, um, like lots of people say to me, I'm so lucky to have got twins. And, um, I am so lucky to have got twins. Like what a great gift. I'm, I've only, had my children, you know, I was pregnant when I was 39 and I had them when I was 40. Um, 
And sometimes I have such grief about never having a singleton. Um, and so this text, I think I just love what you said about, um, and for the dad or, or the mom who was like a ballerina, then none of her children could care less about ballet. There's so much around our expectations, actually, and how to move go. Um, to kind of push our own expectations out the way so we can be present for what's in front of us. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we are able to just look at this beautiful, incredible human in front of us and think about what it feels like to be them and understand what their interests and what lights them up, what are their gifts, what are their interests, and and try to really engage and work with them to find fulfillment there instead of trying to push them to do and be the way we thought they should be. And I think what happens sometimes is this like behaviorist culture we live in gets in the way because we, we wish our kids would behave a certain way, achieve a certain way. And there's, there's no, we don't have control over that. And so I think really just reveling in the parts of them that are their strengths is so important. And then, of course, they have challenges. They have struggles. They have weaknesses. And you look at those, too, and just instead of letting those take the lead, find ways to channel the positive stuff to help support the the challenges Um, or or find ways to accommodate the challenges to help them do the things they care about. But if we're just constantly like looking at all their problems, you'd go into a teacher's meeting and everyone talks about all the behavior problems and then you just feel so much shame about it and you wish you could just change that. They feel that. They feel that instead of working and swimming along with them that we're, we're fighting fundamentally who they are and that doesn't feel good for them or us. Yeah. You're so right. And I, what you just said about they feel, um, they definitely feel and process for us if we are not acknowledging mm-hmm. stuff. And I think, I think it's, it's Gabor Mate who's got a question that says, we have to keep the waters of our subconscious clear because our children are always swimming around there. Oh, wow. And I notice when I've, we've had a long kind of quite tricky period in the last 18 months and, um, I find it quite a struggle in various ways. And I think sometimes my children have really played that out. Um, and what you said about, um, I always look into my children's eyes and I'm like, wow, you're so sparkly and wonderful. I'm going to focus on that and all the things that you're wonderful at. Um, but it's, it's tricky when, if you get messages from society about the way people should be, um, to kind of, always leave that outside the house totally i know i i always talk about putting up my glinda the good witch bubble <laughs> if you ever seen the wizard of oz and glinda the good witch appears like in this bubble and sometimes i think uh it's really important to think about your boundaries that way that you know it's it's easy to register that other parents are doing things differently and it may look like they're having an easier time or they're accomplishing more, or they're doing it all better or whatever. It's easy to feel like people might be judging you. I think almost all parents feel judged. I heard a research report that 
was something like 90%. I don't remember the number, but it was parents feel judged. And somehow we have to put up that bubble around ourselves to just say, you know what? I'm doing what works for my family. I'm doing what works for us and for me. And let that relieve you from worrying about everyone else. Um, and that, that's a hard, it's a practice. It's a constant practice. Yes. It is. And I, I want to kind of really acknowledge that if you might be listening to this, anyone who's listening, that that's a practice. And I think also we go in and out of it. Because mm. I can be quite good at like, I imagine putting like a bell jar over myself. Um, or like a, you know, when you have a, a, if you go to a nice place and they've got cakes under like a glass. Yes. Whatever that word is. I put that over myself and I imagine everything bouncing off. But then if you have a, like a report from a professional or something, and any type of assessment report is very deficit based. Um, and I cannot bear reading those type of reports because of that, because it like plunks yeah. me into a place of like, like, oh my God, everything is just a disaster. Um, and so, and so then you have to kind of really work to get back to that place of, okay, like this is loving and wonderful. We have these beautiful people in front of us and what that person with their deficits you know, with their focus on deficit said, is not like the truth of the situation because the truth is always shifting anyway. Yeah. And depending on our lens, the truth can be totally different. So I look back at myself as a young mother and those people had more impact on me than they do now. And I think back, imagine sitting in our system. I, I had kids in the special education system. So you'd have this individual education plan meeting. And it was like, circle the wagons around the parents. There were, everybody was in the room. There was like a box of Kleenex in front of the parents. And, you know, and it was really hard to sit in this meeting. And like you said, they would highlight all these deficits. And I'd look and I'd think, well, that person's a veteran teacher. That person is a psychologist. That's an occupational therapist. All these people know more than I know. So they must be right. And, and we have to remember that as parents, we know our kids, we're, we're an expert too. You are an expert on your own children. And, you know, if people come in and they lead with all the flaws and negativity, and if they come in and they're prescribing something you don't think is a good idea, I don't just mean medication, but a, an approach. Yeah. I think we really need to trust and believe in our own gut and expertise. Open up and listen to them, but also don't dismiss yourself in the mix. You know, that, um, so I think I've gotten a lot more confidence over time in believing that, that I also know. Um, and we do need to kind of tune into ourselves. I don't know. I didn't even mean to go off on that tangent, but it kind of got me passionate. I love that example that you shared because I think that. Um, it's so true because we, we can take what someone says with their professional expertise, um, and very behaviorist. So many of these approaches are so behaviorist with no understanding of the nervous system, no understanding of things like primitive reflexes, no understanding of like food sensitivities or environmental toxins or heavy metals or, um, you know, such a huge variety of or metabolic disorders or, you know, such a huge variety of things are, are mm-hmm. often contributing to these things. Um, and, um, 
And then we kind of go down that path. What you, I love what you said. You said the therapy chase, um, of like, um, I'm going to fix you. I'm, I'm, I'm never quite sure. Sometimes when I'm on a fixing route, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, what am I, what am I actually trying to get to? But I have definitely done that route. And then my husband was reading a book. I can't even remember what book it was. I might try and find it to put in the show notes, but he was reading a book talking about, um, uh, they did research on, Children and parents and teachers, where they they said to the teachers of a group of children, just kind of random children picked, um, these children are really gifted. Mm. And they said to the parents, these children are really gifted. And um, there was nothing different about the children. They may or may not have had different needs, or you know, they were just this is what they said. And so then the parents really invested in those children. The teachers really invested, thinking this. And those children performed so much better because they felt really seen and, um, you know, they had this kind of love and attention. And um, I often think that, like, all children are gifted, really, you know, in that, like, mm-hmm. everyone in their own way. But we, we, anyone who is slightly um, uh, different in any way is, is, is marked somehow. And, and what you said about, um, the children feel that I feel so passionately about that. Um, and I'm not trying to go into a discussion about diagnosis or not diagnosis or labels or not labels because lots of people find labels useful. But, um, in terms of how our children feel about themselves, it's like we are their greatest advocates. I feel like I've gone down a massive rabbit hole now. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting. But I guess just to, I guess if we wrap up this subject, it's really just that. Being aware of our own beliefs about our children, if we believe in them and swim along with them instead of fighting against their their essence, it's actually going to feel a lot better for them and be a lot easier for us. And um, I was thinking just also about like turning around and looking at our own strengths. Another thing that helped me was learning about my character strengths. Because it's really, again, it's kind of easy to do the comparison trap and be like, oh, that mom is such a good birthday party planner. And that mom's always dressed so beautifully. That one always makes the best, whatever. And I had this little exercise I did one time. I wrote down on a ledger, a piece of paper on the left-hand side, all the things about myself that I don't think are good as a parent. And then on the right, I wrote down all the things that I think are good about my parenting and my style. And then I took the piece of paper and I ripped it in half and I crumbled up the negatives and I threw it at the trash and I put the positives up on a board. And I thought, I'm going to focus on those. That's that's the kind of parent I am. And and that really helped focusing on our strengths instead of all the all of our shortcomings is is really helpful as a parent too you might be like okay i don't bake the most beautiful cakes in fact i buy one but um but i'm i'm really good at being creative and we do cool art projects at our house or or i'm i know a lot about nature and i've gotten all the kids in the neighborhood go outside at my house because we find all the coolest bugs in the backyard whatever it is let that be your your trademark Thing. You don't have to be all the things. And I think yes, that's just such a wonderful example because we tend 
to focus much more on the negative without ever celebrating the positive. Yeah. And in some sense, we grow the negative then because we're always focusing on it and never giving ourselves any compassion or, or like self celebration about what we're good at. And when we like from a, um, from a mood point of view and, uh, kind of what we're trying to bring into our energy field point of view, focusing on the positives helps us be present so much better. It's almost too simple, you know? I think it really is. Yeah. I like how you say it's self-compassion and celebrating our strengths are really helpful. Yeah, so helpful. And I want to hear a little bit more about um, the burnout. Were you able to um, kind of address it? Did you have to take supplements or change the food you ate? Or um, how did you kind of get any rest, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was just starting small, one thing at a time. I, I cut out caffeine because I found out for my body that caffeine was making things worse. And then I was like, what am I going to do? I need a ritual in the morning if I can't make coffee. So I started making um, matcha tea. And I, I really like matcha. It has caffeine, but it also has something called L-theanine that's a calming agent. And it, it's kind of like a slow release awakening rather than a jolt. <laughs> and so I, you know, little changes like that I did. Um, I focused more on the nutrition that helped my body. I cut out gluten because I found out I was gluten intolerant. Um, you know, it was, it was a slow process, but it was really learning about your own body and your own brain and what you need. And, you know, for me, it was, it was those things. Um, and I realized that I was always feeling guilty that I didn't work out hard. And I realized the things that, that were felt the best for me were not to work out hard, but to go on a walk or to do yoga, something that was more yin than yang. Um, and so I just decided to allow myself to do those things instead of feeling like I should be, you know, sweating hard and breathing hard, you know, and each, each small thing, um, kind of helped me restore. But yeah, I, I went to all kinds of witch doctors over, over the course of my life trying to find <laughs> interventions that helped. I love that because even just listening to you, um, I feel like my energy is much more frantic than yours at this point, reflecting probably a lot of things about what my life is like at the moment. Um, and, um, I think I still bring a lot of urgency to some of the things I do for multiple reasons as well. So it's yeah. lovely to hear your kind of, um, your, your kind of the tone and the, the prosody of your voice and just the, um, the wisdom you're reflecting in, in how we can't do everything kind of hard and fast. We just can't. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I am at, I'm at a different phase. I'm not in the thick of it anymore. I remember how it feels. I'm just not in it that way anymore. And I think I was telling you earlier that when I started Wild Peace for Parents, it was really because I couldn't believe no one was focusing on just supporting parents, parent well-being and how can we find our center in the midst of the storms? And I just thought that was so important. And then I thought, well, I just released this podcast a little easier because I still think 
in general, when I kind of look out in the world at Instagram or the books that are being published, it's a lot of parenting advice. It's a lot of what to do, how to do it. And even though it can be incredibly helpful and it's all well-meaning, um, it often leaves the very last chapter to say, oh, and take care of yourself too. Or if it's conscious parenting, it is a deep dive into um, understanding more about ourselves too. But I think in general, it feels like more work and more to do, and it makes us feel even less. So anyway, I wanted to create a little easier this podcast just because I wanted to focus on the parents themselves. And 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 it's, it is aimed mostly at parents who have kids who struggle with invisible challenges, but it could benefit anyone. And I talked to so many parents, and I think Hearing from other parents and realizing that they're all struggling in their own way, they just don't share it. And it reminded me of those that quote of like, wait, you too? I thought it was just me. Um, and that's incredibly reassuring to know how many parents are going through similar stressors and challenges. Um, you're really not alone. And I and I also wanted to to have carrots realize that there are lots of different tools and practices and mindset shifts that we can learn about and take in a very holistic way, you know, to find the thing that fits you and your nervous system, your brain and body and your wiring, your, you know, and your life, your, your resources. I think in some sense, I mean, with, with query sulfate, there's, it's, it's sort of dual in that, um, um, it is very much focused on us as parents that we tend to ourselves. And there's also an aspect of generational heaving so that we can um, um, shift things. But when I used to read, when I sort of started off on this, when I used to read any, I don't think I've ever actually finished a conscious parenting book in total, any of those books. Because I was always like reading, I think actually I remember reading one of Dan Siegel's books, when she, one of the ones he wrote was Tina Payne Bryson. Um, maybe it was the whole brain child, whole brain child, or the other one, no drama discipline. Maybe that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and I remember thinking, this is so hard. And none of these, none of the writers go like this. Presupposes that your own nervous system will be uh, flexible enough to cope with all of this, like huge, like um, like outrage from your children or whatever's going on. There is mm-hmm. nothing about tending to ourselves and. And how hard that would be, and um, the shame that we would feel when we can't do that, um, and that's some of the stuff that I like, kind of want to tend to more. That like we need so much love and support. We are everything, basically. Back as in the parents. I love that you turn the lens that way. It's interesting because parents don't really want to turn the lens on ourselves. It's a lot easier to just assume there's some recipe we could follow to raise our kids and not have to turn the lens on ourselves. <laughs> um, but yep, the reality is when you actually do kind of focus more on yourself, the outcomes are better for everyone. We just have to, it takes, sometimes it takes a while to realize that. Yes. Yeah. And we also probably go in and out of realizing that. Um, <laughs> I'm, um, yep. I'm conscious of the time. Can- okay. Uh, we've gone on like such a lovely winding road with so much wisdom from you. Um, 
What else, what other things would you like to share that you think will be useful? Anything of that? Anything? I don't know. I think we covered so much. I really think um, letting go of what you thought parenting should be like, who your kids should be, how you should be, is is a really crucial thing. And it starts with nurturing yourself and tuning into your own needs and your own nervous system so that you can find that balance to then be able to have the space to to greet the child you have to embrace the child you have um i think that's a really big thing self-compassion is game-changing <laughs> um and i think that you know, wellness in general is a daily habit. Um, I'll tell one quick an- metaphor that I love. One of the people I interviewed for a little easier is a is a therapist. She's worked with five generations of families. And she described mental health to me as she was from, I want to say North Carolina originally, where they have a lot of where was she from? Rivers with shoals, you know, lots of rocks and places you could get caught up on shores. And she said, navigating, you know, mental wellness is like being in a boat on one of these rivers. And sometimes the current pushes you over into the shoals and you hit some rocks and you need to paddle harder to try to get back to the middle. Um, and sometimes that's more or less extreme. Sometimes your boat is dragging over in the shoals for a long time. And the goal is always to try to find ways to navigate to get yourself back to the middle. And I think that was such a beautiful way of thinking about emotional wellness or, or all holistic wellness in, in all of us that we all struggle sometimes. And it's really by finding the awareness that, oh, I'm in, I'm in the rocks. And I just need to, you know, how do I get back to the middle, to the deeper water? Um, anyway, I liked the way she thought about that because it really normalizes the fact that we all struggle in some way and we, and that wellness is a daily habit that we have to constantly, um, pay attention. Yeah. Constantly tend to. And that doesn't mean like we're not deficient in that because we have to do that. Yeah. And I really, I just, wish every parent knew that nurturing themselves is nurturing their children yes we need a big sign about that yeah Kendra, thank you so much for taking the time to join us thank you so much for having me i appreciated this winding conversation and i hope that it bolsters any parents who um were feeling at all overwhelmed or or alone and Kendra is Wild Peace for Parents on Instagram, but all her details um, and the workshop she runs will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Thank you.